The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we are thankful that you have gathered us here, and as was prayed earlier, we are on this, uh, this time, this day, we're in this spot, all by your hand, by your providence. We thank you for that, and we do so in faith, trusting that we're here right now because you want to do something in our lives, you want to teach us something, you want to grow us up. So we, in thankfulness, now ask you for still more. Will you, will you finish your purposes here? Will you complete whatever you've got planned for today? Will you, will you carry it forward? We trust that it has to do with this passage and with our minds and hearts, and so we pray, take the words off this page and make them run. You make them to run through the room and to run into our hearts and to take up residence there and to to send down runners into the soil of our hearts and, and grab us and then grow us up. Father, we ask you to do this by your spirit because we can't do it ourselves. We're just people. We speak words, we hear them, but we, we're just people. You control the streams of our hearts and, and I pray now you would you direct us and build us up Make us a people individually and make us a people corporately that is, that is a, a shining example of what the kingdom looks like. Help us to pursue you and find our life in you. And send us out into the world like that, that, that something of you can be seen in us by others. Attractive and sweet and good. So please do that this morning. Open this word, teach us. For our good and for your glory, we pray it. Thank you. Amen. As soon as someone says, God's kingdom, right away we are faced with two authoritarian impulses. Two things come at you there. There's, there's God. I could even say it like God. The ruler and creator, judge of all presented as a king, a ruler over a kingdom, not an elected official, not a president, not somebody with a term limit who is, who is him or herself beneath some other outside law. God ruling in a kingdom that presents to us, or perhaps we could say confronts us with the image of mighty authority over us. And that in turn will hit each of us a little bit differently, one to the next. Some of us are put off by the idea of such just mighty authority over us. We're going to push back against that in some way. We just kind of resist that and bristle at it a little bit. And others will be maybe intimidated by it or afraid of it. Some of us will feel a sense of duty a call in it to, to responsive, careful obedience. There's going to be responses across a whole spectrum. 
as we humans hear and then begin to think about what it, what it means, God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign over all that is, particularly right in here, over me. Different responses. But I would guess that few of us, if any, to this point right here as I've been saying this or when you hear it somewhere else, instinctively feel God's kingdom. Yes, sweet. Awesome. been waiting to hear about this. I, I, I love it. Where is God's kingdom? How do I get it? Right away, I want it right now. Can't wait because the mighty authority of God within me is my delight. That's not natural for us. It's not what naturally rises to mind when you hear those words described like that. But Jesus thinks that's where we should be. That being partakers of, in possession of the kingdom, is to be in possession of the supremely satisfying, supremely valuable entity in all the creation. Anywhere at all. You have to seek it, and it will cost you everything to finally obtain it and to live in it. But it's, it's true what Jesus said, blessed are you if this kingdom is yours. Most envied are you, most fortunate are you, if the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the Messiah, it's all the same thing. If you're a subject of God's kingdom, blessed are you, that's the good life. Which brings us to the last of the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Without any editorial introduction, it's hard to exactly know if these verses, 44 through the end of the section, were, were spoken directly and only to the group of the disciples. Or, as is probably more likely, if the pattern holds, if they were spoken first to the crowds and then to the disciples explained. With the, the final summary also to explain just to the disciples. It's hard to be sure, but either way, it's all written here for us to, to look at and to hear with understanding. There's more of the, the mystery of the kingdom revealed to us here for us, specifically of how valuable it is to be ruled by him, how precious that is to be ruled by him. That's what we're going to look at today. 44 to 52, I'm going to read them and then draw out three observations from these final parables. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. 
And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Matthew 13. So three observations. Here's the first and the main one. God's kingdom is worth our seeking and sacrifice because it is supremely satisfying. God's kingdom is worth our seeking and our sacrifice because it is supremely satisfying. Find this in the first two parables, which are making the same basic point. He says, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. In days before banks, burying treasure was a reasonable way to keep it safe, as long as you remembered where you'd buried it and didn't die without telling somebody else. But apparently one of those two situations is what's happened here. There's a treasure in, in a field, and... This box with all this gold or silver or jewels or whatever. It's just there in the ground, unknown to anybody until somebody somehow or another randomly finds it. And opening the box, pulls it out of the ground, opens it up and looks in and sees all that's there and says, oh, oh man, why me? Now I have to deal with this. I've just minded my own business and now I have to deal with all of this. But I guess I'll deal with it because that's the right thing to do. No. Of course not. Of course not. He sees this, and in his joy, in his joy, barely able to contain himself, trying not to give away the reason that he suddenly has interest in this land, he realizes, if I get this land, if I, if I can obtain this thing, I'm going to be filthy, stinking rich. So in his joy, sold everything. He real quick does the math. What do I have? What, what is this? Sold. Liquidates everything he has to obtain this field. I can't have them both. I can have either what I have or I can have this field. No contest and buys the field. Just like the merchant in verse 45, with one added point. Same point, but one, same basic point, but one added detail here. Unlike the man of verse 44, this merchant is deliberately hunting for pearls. So generally speaking, he knows what he's seeking. The surprise only comes in the magnitude of what he found. He kind of knows what he's looking for, so he's got money in his pocket. He's shopping. But he's astonished to find this one, like he's looking through the pile of stuff, and whoa, that one's pricey. But whoa, that one's worth it. And same thing goes home and liquidates everything he has, does the math real quick, and buys that pearl. Everything I have is all in for this pearl. Those, those two word pictures are very familiar to us and very understandable to us. Again, we've seen these parables so many times that we, we get it. But they would have been out of left field for the original listeners. And maybe even off-putting, as Jesus explains it. Because the kingdom being hidden, needing to be searched for, sought and then, and then eventually found, 
and evidently others don't see it, though it's all right there. It has to be searched for and found, and then it's not automatically mine by my birthright? Neither one of those two things would have made any sense. I have to, it's, it's not obviously found, and it's not automatically mine. Both of those are, are out of left field. They all expected, Jesus' friends and enemies alike, all expected that the kingdom was going to come in some exploding onto the scene display of great power and judgment. And every one of Jesus' listeners would have thought, I'm a child of Abraham, it's mine, obviously. It's coming against them once. And yet here's this parable, these two parables, telling us that his reign over our life, the kingdom, right now and the promised future when the kingdom becomes realized in all of its fullness, that it's something that we have to be about in pursuit of and have to give all of this life for. We hear that right here, and we, maybe we think about that, it comes at us, and sometimes we hear that, if, I think if we're honest, if, with, a sense of, <clears throat> with a sense of downer in it. Because there's something here that says, I have to, have to expend some focused effort and then give everything that I have and everything that I am and everything that I cherish and all the goals and ideas and theories and philosophies that I'm living for, all of that I have to give it up to in exchange be ruled by God the King. And that sometimes is a little bit off-putting to us, let alone to other people who are first encountering all this and kind of weighing it out. So we need to think carefully about this and make sure we understand what's actually being said. To start, there is a very real sense of have to in this. No way around it. We have to pursue, seek out the kingdom of God. It is, it is easy, it is natural to just live right on, keeping on all through this world and what happens automatically, what comes to us naturally, is that as I just pass through this world moment by moment, day by day, I'm going to live according to the kingdom of me, and so are you. Not the kingdom of me, you're going to live according to the kingdom of you. Guided by whatever it is that, that today we think is right, in pursuit of whatever it is that appeals to us, however we feel, whatever, whatever thoughts like kind of make sense to us in our own eyes, we're going we're gonna to follow all that naturally, that's what comes to us. That's, that's how we are by default. We have to seek out the kingdom of God. Pursue it. We fall into the other. We have to pursue God's rule, God's guidance of us. And what that means for us today, I try to put this like very practically, because it's, it's difficult. The language here, obviously it's, it's metaphoric, but the language is kind of hard to understand because the kingdom of God is not a physical location. If I was to tell you to to seek the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or, or to seek out Indiana. You, you'd be able to Google that and find out where that is and figure out how to go there. And then you would arrive and be present in the kingdom of X. But this isn't like that at all. And so it's, it's difficult to sometimes, what does it mean to seek the kingdom, to pursue it? So try to be very practical about this. It means... We must make time to set our minds and hearts 
on spiritual realities and spiritual truths throughout the week. And then yield to them. You have to make time to pursue spiritual truths, spiritual realities throughout the week, not just for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, and then yield to them. Put yourself beneath the rule of those spiritual realities and spiritual truths. We seek out those things by taking in the Bible, reading it or reading about it, hearing it or hearing, say, songs that are about it or people talking about it, taking in the Bible, encountering the Bible. That's where the spiritual truths and realities are going to be found. And then praying, talking to God, communicating with him like in a relationship, and then hanging out with other Christians who are doing those same things and doing those same things with them as you hang out with them. It, it's, it's wonderful to hang out with Christians and watch the Super Bowl. But that's not actually pursuing the kingdom. To, to hang out with other Christians who are themselves and to with them also engage the Bible in prayer. That is what it means to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And we have to make time to do that and then put ourselves beneath what we find. Very practically, that's what it means to pursue the kingdom. And what we'll find when we get there is that we have to, also have to sacrifice to have, to own this kingdom. The Bible often, Jesus often, not just here, but lots of other places, Jesus talks about take up your cross and follow me. In Luke 9, it's daily. Which means somebody carrying their cross is on their way to die. So what he's talking about is daily die to yourself. Put everything that is you, your cherished desires and your goals and your demands and your habits and your feelings and all of the kingdom of you, all of that, Another way to put it is on the altar sacrificed. Put it to death on the cross. All of it is on the table here, Lord. This all yielded to you. We give up everything. Not because literally we are buying the kingdom. That's where the analogy fails. He's not trying to communicate to us that you can actually pay a price to obtain this. He's trying to show how valuable it is. He tells us that the idea, the idea is expressed here of giving up everything that you have, of taking up your cross, etc., not because of how you buy the kingdom, but because that is what, think about this, that is what a transfer of allegiance always looks like. A transfer of trust, a transfer of dependence always looks like anywhere. I'm, I'm holding on to something I, I have something in my grip, and, and I am attached to that. I am focused on that. I am embracing that. And if I'm going to embrace that, I have to put this down, surrender this, and then move over here and grab hold of this. A transfer of trust, that's what saving faith actually is. I'm not buying Jesus. I'm turning from what I am previously trusting in and leaning on, the, the word 
turn, repent, and repenting to trust now, embrace Jesus. I am guided by and living for the kingdom of me, and I say there, so that I can grab hold of and take up the kingdom of Jesus. Transferred allegiance, transferred trust, transferred dependence always looks like that. Letting go of one thing so as to embrace the other. And you can't say, I'm going to let go of most of that. One or the other. One kingdom or the other. Nobody is a subject of both kingdoms. One or the other rulers. That's how we get into God's kingdom. By saying, no, I turn from, I repent, and I embrace Jesus. And that's how we grow daily in God's kingdom, by daily taking up the cross, by daily putting myself out there and saying, Lord, I, I hear these truths, I hear these spiritual realities, and I submit myself to them. I don't, I don't lord over them and judge them to which ones I find appealing. I say, your will be done, not mine. That's how we become a Christian and grow as Christians, how we get into the kingdom and grow in the kingdom. So there is a have to. We put aside all competing authorities, all competing values, and have to surrender to Jesus. But the whole point of the parables is that both of these people did the have to's because they really, really, really wanted to. That's the whole point. They wanted to do the have to's. For the joy set before him. In his great delight, he sees what's going to cost him and sees what's going to benefit him. Done. Absolutely. The value of this kingdom, what God is offering in the kingdom, is our greatest and fullest, most beautiful, true, lasting delight, pleasures forevermore. That's what Psalm 16 promises us, that living life in the presence of God is about pleasure forevermore. I was in college when God first opened my eyes to understand this mystery of the kingdom of God, and it changed everything about how I thought about God and thought about this Christian faith. I'd grown up thinking that, probably like most people, plenty of Americans, I, I grew up thinking that, I mean, the kingdom is just like, you know, what's, what's there? This kingdom of God is what's there, and I was born in a family that goes to church, so I guess I'm in it. I could have had a good life, but I'm a Christian instead. Right? I could have had a fun life, but I mean, I have to, have to pursue this life. I mean, because God is real, I'm sure of that, and God's really big, and God's full of authority, and God is mighty, and God is a severe judge, and hell is terrible. So, bummer. But it's good, I'm told. I could have had a good life, but instead, I'm a Christian. That's the big lie. That's the big lie. It's a, it's a double lie. I, I didn't realize what the good life was, and I didn't realize that I wasn't a Christian. I didn't understand what the kingdom actually was and didn't understand I wasn't in the kingdom. 
But the big lie is that and it's told to us in lots of different ways and it rises up out of our own hearts. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, we've been suspicious of God. And ever from that point on, we, we, we are easily persuaded by, by this lie that to trust God, to, to give myself to him, to, to surrender to his kingdom reign is to give up everything that's good. Could have had a good life, but instead I have to follow God. Have to. I think every one of us could be deceived by that lie, but I think particularly the younger you are, the more deceptive that lie is. Because you haven't yet, if you're you're a teenager, you haven't yet found out that the world can be terrible. You still think you can make it awesome and enjoy it all. The older you get, the, the little more the world teaches you some things about the world. But every one of us can be deceived, but, but maybe if you're a younger person, think like, if I, if I bought that, have I thought this, this faith of my parents, this faith of, maybe you're a student here at Intermountain Christian School, the faith of this school, I guess I have to, but I kind of wish I didn't have to. Maybe this is particularly something you're hooked by right now. But here's the truth. The glorious secret truth of the kingdom is that life under the reign of the one true God is costly but supremely satisfying. Now and forever into eternity. Remember Jesus talking with the rich young, young guy, the, the rich man who, who asked him, seemed to approach him, wanted to know, but really loved his money and the lifestyle that that acquired for him. And Jesus said, all of it on the table, buddy, or you can't come. All of it on the cross, all of it on the altar, you can't come. And he said, goodbye then, I guess. And Jesus said, man, that's unfortunate. Right, when he's he's analyzing this later with his disciples, man, that's unfortunate, because he could have had a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. So we're not just talking about heaven and in the life to come, eternal life. He could have had a hundredfold in this life. Would have paid off a hundred times. What what does that mean? Obviously, it's not literal. What what does it mean? Well, I'm going to say it in two different ways. It means, first of all, one way to put this, the communion that you would have now with God as his spirit lives in you. The relationship that being a subject of this kingdom creates for you and and the walk with him submitted to his truth and and guided by his spirit, that that relationship is everything to the soul. It's life to you in here. And it's also illumining for everything else so that you can live actually understanding the world and understanding what's out there, seeing what's really going on, truth and error both. And so that when the hurts of the world come at you, and they will because the world is hurtful, when the hurts of the world come at you, you will be able to sorrow in those things and also rejoice because you have communion with the God who reigns and has promised you all of it's for you. I've got it all in my hand and I'm making it all good for you. And you know that and you trust it and walk in in joy even while sorrowing. That's the blessed life to have the kingdom of, of heaven be yours. That's real. 
it's also kind of theoretical. So let me say it a second way in a way that's a little more concrete, perhaps. Everything that you have on the table, on the altar, surrendered to Jesus. And what happens when you do that is it either gets replaced with something better or gets returned to you changed. So let me pick just one thing, and you'll have to put in all the details of your life. And I, and I, want, I want to say put in all the, the concrete things that you do and also the theories and ideas that you have, the stuff that you live for, the things that you dream about. Put everything there, I'm going to pick one thing. I'm going to pick mountain biking. You're a mountain biker, let's say. I'm not, but suppose you are. And you realize, when I say, Lord, here's my life, it's yours, I surrender control to you and I want you to reign, I can't say, except for the mountain biking part, that's my happy place. I'm going to keep that. And the time and the money that I spend on that and, and the mental energy I spend planning out my next ride... All that, I'm going to keep that. Everything else is yours, Lord. Nope. Can't. Okay, so then all of it's there, which means he's either going to take it away and you'll never mountain bike again. And if that happens, that'll be replaced with something better. You'll find that he puts into your life then places for your money and your time and all your mental energy to be utilized in ways that somewhere, I can't say immediately, but somewhere down the road you'll say, oh, this is actually better. Somewhere. Maybe a week, maybe a hundred years from now, I don't know. But somewhere you'll say, this is actually better. I have ways now that I'm using my money, I'm using my time, and, I, and I'm engaging with people, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing good to them, and, and that is good and right, and I'm honoring God with, with this. I'm not ruled by it. It's not, it's not overtaking this ugly, becoming this ugly thing in my life, but I'm actually, I'm, these replacement things are sweet and good, and I'm growing, and I'm, I'm storing up treasure for myself in heaven, and I much prefer this to, I don't know why I spent so much time mountain biking. Replace with something better, or it'll get returned to you changed. And you may mountain bike just as much as you ever did, but you do it differently. It'll come back to you under the lordship of Christ, and you'll do it with a different mind and a different heart. It'll be for different purposes, and it won't rule you, but you'll do it in a way that is, that is enjoying the nature that's all around you and thankful to God for the gifts that he's given you. And you'll bring people along, even though they're kind of a hindrance because they don't write as well as you do, but, but you'll bring them along because you're helping them to enjoy this. And all the while, all through it, as you mountain bike just as much as you ever did, you are connecting with God and with God's creation and God's people in a way that people who are not mountain biking with Jesus can't. Return to you changed. Either replaced with something better or returned to you changed after you gave it all up and put it all on the table here. And then also, eternal life in the age to come. The life of doing that is the good life. 
It'll cost you everything continually, daily on the cross, again and again and again. But it'll bring to you the most satisfying life of all, here and now and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you hear that with understanding? It is hard to hear that with understanding. Your feelings are really strong and the temptations and impulses are are really gripping and tribulation is going to come and persecution will arise and threaten to burn out all that you've just heard. And the world is really attractive. And that person you're in a relationship with is really attractive. The money they're dangling in front of you is really attractive. The deceitfulness of wealth is strong. And it'll threaten to choke out what you've just heard. To live by faith, though, in this offer of the rule of God over you, his kingdom come in you daily. To live by faith in that offer, to live beneath the lordship of Christ, that's our calling and our privilege. Do you hear that with understanding? The dangerous alternative is what Jesus brings up next. There's a blessed offer and a dangerous alternative. The second observation. Here it is. Take care. Not everyone around the treasure actually possesses it. Take care. Not everyone around the treasure actually possesses it. This so-called parable of the net, the third parable here, told and explained in verses 47 to 50, very similar to the parable of the weeds that we just saw last week. In fact, it's probably meant to be its pair. The same point is, is present in both. Some of the language is actually identical. So like the weeds there are among the wheat, intermixed until the final day of judgment. So too are the bad fish mixed in amongst all the good fish until the net's finally pulled in at the end and they're sorted out. And the bad fish are thrown out again into the fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Basically the same point as before. But it has a slightly different slant here. Back in the parable of the weeds, you've got the weeds and the wheat that are all mixed together. That's about Christians and non-Christians right together in the world and that is known all along. And Jesus chooses to leave it there, and we know it. We realize it. Left as such. The slight difference here, that the kingdom of heaven is like a net, which would have been pulled into shore by by maybe like a single boat or often between two boats. They're kind of like sweeping the ocean and pulling it into shore into the shallow water. And nobody can see what's in the net until the very end. That's the difference. All the fishermen, all the time they're pulling in this net, they feel that it's heavy. There's, there's a lot in there. There's a great big load, and they're all hoping there's good fish in there because that's, that's, that's wealth, that's money, that's life to them. And they're pulling it in, and they, this is going to be great. And, and when you get up, finally, you can see the fish just flopping. On the, you get up finally out of the shallow water into the really, really shallow water out of the shore. And they're like, ah, well, and there's some good ones, but there's a lot of garbage here. Throw that one away, worthless. Throw that one away, throw that one away, throw that one away. 
It's not apparent until it's too late. When they're hauled up out of the water and exposed for the moment of judgment, then you see. What's the point of that? Take care and figure it out for yourself beforehand. That's the point. Being in the net and caught up and pulled along amidst all the other good fish does not automatically make one a good fish. Or to speak in the language of the parables before, being among those who are delighting in this great treasure, who have given their all to it and are experiencing it as they delight in the treasure that is the kingdom and, and you're seated right next to him and you're watching this guy count the money in the box and you're seeing this pearl and you're agreeing, that's a mar- wow, that's an amazing pearl, wow. You're seeing that in his hand Growing up right next to him, seated right next to him, you know all the lingo, you know all the theology, you know all the promises, you know the aspirations and the hope. That does not automatically mean that you actually possess the treasure of the kingdom personally yourself. Hear that. Hear that. Have you become a good fish? By personal surrendered faith in Christ alone, yourself, not your parents, not your friends, yourself. Or do you just know a lot of good fish and are, you get along with them just great and you don't mind moving through life being pulled towards the shore right along with them? That's fine. You actually like, like these people. They're better than most. It's, it's good. It's going to come out of the water. And it's a day of judgment. Have you yourself, take care on this point, have you yourself actually seen the value of the kingdom, put all of you on the altar in exchange for being able to grab hold of Jesus yourself by faith in him, trusting in his cross alone to pay for your sin? You must. How can you know if you have? Well, there are a few things to consider very briefly. Three things I'll I'll put in front of you for you to think about. First, you have to intellectually know the true gospel. That word gospel gets thrown around a lot, especially if you're in a church community or especially if you live in this larger community. The word gospel gets thrown around a lot, and most of the time we hear it, it's the wrong definition. You have to know the the true gospel of the Bible. In brief, the message of Jesus' death on the cross. The gospel is news about what God has done in Jesus, not an assignment for us to do. It's news. That's what the word means. Good news about what God has done in Jesus' death on the cross as the one and only way to pay for our sin. Not That plus things I might do, that alone, his death alone. So do you know that intellectually? And secondly, of course you have to agree with that, but you have to agree with it in a way that is more than just intellectually agreeing, a way the Bible calls trusting, faith. 
I don't just believe it like I know it's true. I trust it. So you have to start there. But thirdly, perhaps most importantly, how do you know you actually know the right gospel and how do you know you've actually trusted it? Well, thirdly, what kind of fruit is your life producing? If you've been here for some weeks, you've seen this is the point that Jesus keeps emphasizing. We've got good fish here. We had good soil. We've had good trees. The good tree bears good fruit. The good soil produces the good and fruitful Christian life. Is your life characterized by a growing Christ-likeness? That is, are you growing, not perfect, none of us are perfect, but Jesus Growing meekness, growing mercy, growing holy purity of heart, growing peaceableness. Not perfect, but growing. And when you realize that you're not, you're grieved by it and mourning over your sin because you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you see you want that and you say, Lord, help, empty-handed, please help me. That's the fruit that grows on the Christian tree. That's the Beatitudes. Take care that you actually do possess the treasure that is in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom. That you actually are a Christian and not just are among Christians. The alternative is devastating. You miss out on the greatest treasure imaginable now and in the end you only have the fire of hell. Take care. Finally then, a a third short observation drawn from the very end, the last parable, 51 and 52, which is the summary of the entire section of this chapter 13, all these parables we've seen. They've all been about the kingdom of heaven, and, he, and that's where he kind of goes here at the end. And there's a, there's a fair bit of uncertainty about what Jesus is actually saying here because it's so brief and, and vague. I'll tell you what I think he's getting at. It seems that he's talking to his disciples. If the pattern holds, he just explained the parable of the net to them. As usual, he's doing that to his disciples and asking them, do you understand? Well, the people who are supposed to understand are his disciples. So... It, Seems like he's talking to his disciples and he's asking them, did you understand all that I was just saying? And they said, yes. And his reply then it seems is good because, if I can put this slightly differently, then you are going to be well supplied to be able to supply others. Or to put it in a statement, here's the third observation These secrets of the kingdom are useful to equip us in this world. These secrets of the kingdom are useful to equip us all here in this world. So Jesus says, therefore every scribe, and this is a positive statement, so he's not talking about the scribes who with the Pharisees are trying to kill him. He means means positively. Every scribe, every teacher or expert of God's word who's been trained like this, like I've just been doing with you all, 
my disciples here, every teacher of God's word who gets these things that I've just been laying out about God's kingdom, such a trained teacher is going to be useful within the kingdom. That one will be like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure. A master of a house is somebody who's over a house and brings out of his treasure, brings out of the stuff that he's got in his household, his resources, what he's got in the closet over there, what he's got in the attic, what he's got in the pantry, what he's got in, in the shelves in the garage, all the stuff that he has. This, this scribe will be able to bring out from all that he has out of his treasure, bring it out for the welfare and the upkeep and provision of the house. New stuff and old stuff, both. I think the picture here is, and, and think about the actual setting for a second. The disciples are all sitting there, and it's a big group, more than just the 12, but very concretely, Matthew himself is sitting there. Peter is sitting right there. John, right there. And what he's saying to them they just got taught, and he's saying, do you get it? Do you hear all of this with understanding, Peter, John, Matthew? It's all the old truths of the kingdom of God. It's all, all throughout the Old Testament, I've always been talking about a kingdom. There was never supposed to be a human king over my people because I was their king. I've always been talking about a kingdom. And so this has been coming all along, and all the truths about what the kingdom of God would be like is all there. And then here it is, all of that in a new way expressed, I'm the king. And here's what the rule looks like, the spirit of God actually indwelling you. That, that's different too. This is all this new covenant, newness and oldness together. So do you get it, guys, Peter, John? Do you get it? Well, good. Then you guys are going to be good, well-trained scribes, teachers of the people of God, able to bring out for them and lay in front of them all the kingdom treasure that you found and been shaped by and that they need to find and be shaped by themselves. You'll be able to serve up to them, to show them, out of all the stuff that you have, you'll be able to bring forward to them and tell them of the king and his rule, that it's in their hearts, not in the government. It's in their hearts. And it starts small and grows really, really slowly. It's going to become massive one day, but it's really small. It's going to look very, very hard to see, not large. It's small, but it's the most precious treasure there is. It is the fruitful, godly life, life with God now and on into eternity. You'll be able to tell them that. And you'll be able to tell them that it's worth everything and that everyone must take care to be sure that they attain it themselves and that it not get choked out by all the world and all the hardship and all the deception of wealth. Tell them this, these secrets of the kingdom. And you'll equip them well to live as aliens and strangers in this world while being citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not of this world. Living here now in this world, aliens and strangers, citizens of another kingdom. You'll be able to tell them that. And women, you'll be able to tell one another this. This is the good life. The life in the kingdom. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Let me pray.
Father, will you press all these truths from these parables into us? Will you convince us of them? You call us to follow you with everything. And will you show us just enough of the present life reward to keep us encouraged and pressing forward in faith? Shepherd your people, King Jesus. Shepherd us and lead us and guide us. Carry us home, we pray. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.